HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, scaling up uh, cheese production growth, specifically in the state of Wisconsin. We're going to be interviewing uh, folks from Holland's Family Cheese and also uh, Raleigh Cheese House, two businesses in Wisconsin, two cheesemakers that have recently scaled up. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of expansion, the risks and rewards, and the whole other ball of wax that goes along with it. So our first guest is Carrie Skibby, who is the sales director of Holland's Family Cheese. Carrie, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> so um, we have a little bit of background here about Hollands, which I'm sure you can fill in even more. Um, but so um, Rolf and Marika Penterman are the owners of, of Hollands Family Cheese, and they came here from the Netherlands uh, in 2002. Um, can you talk a little bit about why uh, they uh, decided to set up shop in Wisconsin? You bet. Um, when they were looking at setting up a facility somewhere. They were looking in Europe and Canada and the United States. It could have been anywhere that they were looking. It was just in, in Holland was just not enough for um, his parents and his brother and himself. So that's why they ended up actually here in Thorpe. There was a um, bankruptcy farm here in Thorpe. It was about a 300 cow farm. And so really they could have been anywhere and they actually ended up here in Thorpe. So it was pretty exciting. And Thorpe is um, a small town. It's located in the northwestern part of Wisconsin, correct? Yeah, well, actually, we're pretty much dead center. Um, if you take a line between Minneapolis and Green Bay, we're pretty much right between that. So there's about three hours to Madison, three hours to Superior. So okay. Kind of in the middle. 
Cool. Very cool. Um, and so, well, it's an interesting, uh, um, you know, it's an interesting, I guess, way to start this discussion. Um, scaling up is something that's not really possible in a lot of um, areas of the world. You know, in Holland, particularly, you know, they have a very dense population. They don't have a ton of farmland. So for people who are looking to expand their farming businesses there, it's often very expensive or just impossible to find the land to do it. So uh, Wisconsin, um, you know, of course, is um, home to tons of dairy farmers and uh, are, they have a state, you know, Wisconsin as a state is very supportive of its dairy farmers. So it's a it's a perfect place to start and grow a cheese business. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the business started um, and uh, and then kind of what led up to this need for your recent expansion into a new production facility? Oh, you bet. Um, well, Marika came over here after Rolf was here for a couple of years. They got married and they were over here. And after a few years, she started really missing her Gouda. She always jokes about how her relatives would come over, and with all the weight restrictions, less cheese was coming over for the Gouda. And so people were picking their jeans over the cheese, so she thought, well, maybe I should just make my own Gouda. (laughs) And so that's when she started looking to do it, because she wanted her Gouda. And so she thought, well, we have all the cows here. Why don't we, you know, make it right here like we the traditional born cost is made, you know, Gouda is made right on the farm back in, in Holland. So she thought, well, why don't we do that here? So then she ended up finding out that she first had to be a licensed cheesemaker. So she went to school and got her license. Um, she did her apprentice with gingerbread Jersey cheese over in Augusta. And then they started making cheese, I believe, in November seven years ago. Um, her and Martha, and Martha is still with us. She's our main cheesemaker. They started making cheese. And so they started making the Gouda, and then four months later was when they first won their first prize with the fenugreek. So it was pretty exciting. It was kind of a quick start for them. Wow. Wow, that's great. I mean, that's pretty amazing to go from beginner to award winner in just four months. I mean, people dream about that. Oh, yeah. It, it was it was pretty much, she always jokes, Marika does, she said, I'm not a very good cook, but I must be able to make cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a newfound talent. <laughs> I feel like it's a it's a very different skill set. I feel like, you know, cheese making and cooking, you know, cooking you can kind of improvise a little bit. Cheese making, I feel like you really have to <laughs> improvisation yeah. can happen, but oftentimes won't lead you to the result that you want. <laughs> exactly. And I think it helped a lot too cuz she was very used to you know, Gouda back over there and knows what it was supposed to be like. And, and really to do it the traditional Dutch way that we do it, usually in the raw milks, I mean, our own cows, it comes right into our vat. It's so fresh, made into cheese right away. I mean, within five hours, we have the wheels already in the brine. And so it's very, very traditional. She's used to that. And I think that's what really helps the process because you just get that full flavor because nothing goes out our door before 60 days because of being raw milk. Um, and we test every batch before we send it out also. But I think that really gives it the flavor because you've got this coating on it that lets it breathe. And so it starts breathing and aging, and it just it just makes it so buttery and creamy. So so let me ask you this. So, um, you know, you, so Rolf basically and Mareka started off as just pure dairy farmers. They were producing milk. Um, they were selling milk. Uh, Mareka started this cheesemaking operation a little over seven years ago. What was the size of the operation like then, um, and what is the size of the operation like now, both in terms of number of cows that you guys have and the output of pounds of cheese? Oh, you bet. When they started, um, they started out there on the farm with about 350 cows. And over the last seven years, they ramped up to over 850 cows. Um, So the cows grew. 
And then when they started making the vat, they just had a smaller vat in the beginning. And then they ramped up and, and used the bigger vat, but they didn't really necessarily make every day. Um, I'm not sure exactly the, the numbers back in the very beginning, but I think they were more, you know, your 20 wheels a day, maybe every other day that they did. Um, when we when we transitioned over to our new location, we were making 40 wheels a day, so about 800 pounds a day, five days a week. And what our limiting factor was was our brine. We only had one brine take. And since they have to sit in the brine for 60 hours, we just didn't have the ability to make more than that. And so really about two years ago or so, the, the facility they had added on to the aging room but we just couldn't go any further because we were kind of dead set in the center of the farm. And so that's really when Ralph and Marika started looking, okay, we need to make more. The cheese is doing really wonderful, so we need to look at a different option. And, of course, moving right off the highway of the exit here was a perfect. Um, the space was open. It's a lot easier for people on and off. And then they designed it so we have two, two brine tanks now so we can expand and double our production. That's so funny, the brine tank being the limiting factor. I feel like that you often hear about aging facility, not having enough space to age the cheese or, um, you know, not having a big enough vat and having to make, you know, um, cheese, you'd have to make cheese every eight hours if you wanted to keep Mm -hmm. up with the milk flow. But that's really interesting that it was the brine tank that led to, that was kind of the the sticking point anyways, that led you guys to expand. Um, so, uh, so basically now you've expanded, you said you're at a facility that's closer to the highway and that's important because you have a retail operation there as well. Um, so are the retail and production facilities now located in the same uh, place? Yes, we are. Um, we actually, what's really wonderful is when you see our exit on the south building, you see our, our parlor and our freestyle where our cows are. And then you have about maybe 50 yards and then you hit the front of our store. And then when you walk in our store, um, it's a big new open concept. It's just beautiful. But the whole time you can see the when they're making the vat room, you can see the make room, you can see the brine, and you can see the aging room. Um, so we have windows full so people can see everything right there. So really the cows are, when they get milk, they're only, you know, maybe 50 to 75 yards away from the vat that it comes into. So it's very nice. It's very close right there so everybody can see it. Um, we're all in one building. Um, we get along and we converse a lot with the milkers because it's one big farm. And so it's a great family feeling with everybody right here. Yeah, that's the best. I mean, I was I was wondering that too, if then you would have to transport the milk from somewhere else, et cetera. Um, that's really great that uh, you're able to keep everything so close because as you said, you know, it's that's what makes great cheese, just going from fresh raw milk that's, you know, super high quality and, and, and having minimal processing and, and just turning it right into cheese. Um, so, well, let's talk a little bit about, I feel like scaling up in a cheese business is a lot different than scaling up in any other kind of manufacturing business because, you know, you have your cows. Um, when you add cows to your herd, you've got to wait for them to reach a certain age and turn, and, and, and then you can breed them. Um, and then you can have your milk supply that you're looking for. And then after that, you can make the cheese, but then you've got to age the cheese for a while. So can you kind of mm-hmm. talk about that, um, you know, waterfall effect of, um, of expansion and all the things that you have to take into consideration before you can actually produce the amount of cheese and then actually sell that cheese? Yeah, um, well, when we were on the last, when we were on our old location, we didn't use all 850 cows. We only used about 10% of the milk supply. 
And so that was roughly around, <clears throat> excuse me, about 90 cows a day kind of type of thing. Um, well, here we scaled down. I had forgot to tell you that. We were only about 300, 350 cows milking right now here. Um, and what we do is we use the one milking that fills the vat. Um, and and really, it was, it was amazing how Marika and Ralph really planned it all out. Um, they got the farm going first. We wanted to get the cows milking, get them comfortable, get them regulated. We were able to buy a whole herd that was dispersing over by Elk Mound, so that was only about 45 minutes away. So we bought the whole herd, and the whole herd came over, and we moved them over in um, about a week process so that we could get those first girls used to the new parlor, and then we brought some more. And then they helped the second girls because they kind of had an idea. So it was it was a really nice progression of them coming. Also with... Um, with the cows coming, we also got the herdsmen, and we also have the milkers. So really for the cows, things didn't change too much. They were still in a great freestall, very comfortable sand bedding. They were in a parlor system, and they even had the same people milking them. So we didn't see much of a decline in terms of their milk production, which you normally would see with a big change like that. So they transitioned really well. And we had them milking since November 18th. So they'd been milking about four months before we ever started putting in our cheese facility. So um, that worked really well for that. Luckily, we had a great supply um, from before. Um, one of the main things that was a real blessing to us is back in March of 2013, we got the U.S. Cheese Champion with our mature plane six to nine months. So it was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful. Congratulations. We have been able to get ahead of that demand. And so that's why really, we really, 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 really want to start doubling production as soon as we can to try and help get that to our supply up to where the demand is at. Yeah, that is, well, that is certainly a great, great problem to have. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, I wish we just had more cheese. We love to sell cheese. It just just takes six months to get a six month cheese. And so it takes a little while. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Everything good in life takes time. (laughs) It does. And so what, um, what's on the horizon for you guys? Um, besides, you know, obviously sort of getting that, that supply up to meet the demand. Um, what are some other new things that you are planning for this new facility, either on the retail front or on the production front? Well, our whole store that we have downstairs, um, we used to just, we have a teeny little, um, oh, a teeny little store. I would say maybe maybe 200 square feet. And I don't know, I think we've probably gone up to 2,000 square feet. It's really big. We're also able to offer other cheeses from our other great cheese-winning people here in Wisconsin, Car Valley, um, Henning, Satori. I mean, you just, you name it, we've got it downstairs so we can sell it here too. Um, so it's just, it's really great to only to have our Gouda, but had to other cheeses, too. Um, we have a whole supply of Dutch products. Um, we have wine. So we've really expanded what we sell in the store. And so we're really also looking to add on. We have a, a kitchen we're going to have, so we want to do grilled cheese sandwiches, um, ice cream, um, that kind of stuff. Make it really a destination spot. We have a lot of places we'll be able to, be able to sit outside, underneath the eaves, a porch. Um, we have a fireplace with a big table in front of it so you can sit and relax and have a cup of coffee. So we really want to draw people in to make it, a, in terms of the store, a destination place for people. Um, in terms of products and things, we're, Marika's always trying new ones. Um, she had tried a Zach de Borenkas, which is basically a soft farmhouse cheese, and we're still working on that one. We want it where it's spreadable when you open it. Mm. So so it's, it's in the works yet. We've done a few batches. Um, the Golden was one that she had broken off and made an American original. So we're always trying some different kinds of cheeses. Um, but she would like to also get into some fresh products since since 
the milk from cows is so diverse. Um, she'd also like to probably um, do some yogurts, do some of her own Dutch ice cream, you know, different fresh products, sour creams. I would love her to do butter. I think that would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I so, feel like those were the staples in Holland back in the day, their butter and their Gouda. You know, that's what was exported and prized, you know, all over the world. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's there's lots of, you know, thought and process, and they built that in here. Um, our facility is wonderful, but it, and it, you can get lost in here because it's so nice and large. And our make room has plenty of room. We can add a pasteurizer for those different fresh type of products that we're going to need, too. Well, congratulations to you guys. It is just such a great success story and um, really, really happy for the company and for the expansion. Um, We are actually going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Chris Raleigh of Raleigh Cheese House. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, well, thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll be back in just a minute on Cutting the Curd. Today's break song is called It's Cold and Beautiful by Magical Mistakes. And as you know, you're listening to Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 160 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. And we are back on Cutting the Curd. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. You can listen to this and many other shows at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and today we are talking about scaling up cheese production and growth in Wisconsin. Our second guest is Chris Raleigh, a fourth-generation cheesemaker from Raleigh Cheese House. Thanks for being on the show, Chris. Oh, you bet, Ann. How are you doing today? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, we wanted to do this show to kind of talk about, you know, sort of pros and cons of expansion and all these different things that you have to consider. And, um, after talking a little bit with Carrie Skibby, who's a sales director up at Holland's Family Cheese, I realized that this show is a little bit about scaling up and then scaling down and then scaling up again. Um, <laughs> which I feel like, uh, has definitely seems like that's what's happened with your family business. Um, can you talk a little bit of, can you give our listeners sort of a background of, um, your family's business? business uh, from, from its beginning days to uh, how it is now in terms of how it's grown and then uh, sort of uh, grown and maybe scaled down a little bit and then scaled back up? Sure. Um, I come from, well, I'm like you said earlier, I'm the fourth generation of uh, Swiss immigrant, and my great-grandfather came to Wisconsin from Lucerne and started working for Hicks Cheese Co-op. Cheese Co-op was a small country corner cheese factory that was owned by a group of farmers uh, as a means to uh, market their milk uh, by turning it into cheese. And our family, as it grew, uh, became involved in this co-op and 
my great-grandfather passed the torch to my grandfather, and it was my grandfather, Walter, who really uh, really kind of started growing the business uh, in multiple avenues. He uh, had hauled milk in cans and developed that into a bulk milk hauling business, as well as growing the Hicks Cheese Factory into uh, a viable, larger-scale family business. Meaning he, he purchased the shares of the co-op from the farmers and put it into our family name and grew the business a little farther than what, uh, what the farmers could support. So that, uh, that led to my, to my dad taking over from my grandfather. And it was uh, our business grew uh, in different avenues. So we have uh, a retail store that at one time was owned uh, or operated by one of my uncles. And the milk hauling business was operated by another one of my dad's brothers. And my dad run the cheese. So I kind of came along, and I was tagging along and, and going to work with Dad, and, and, and I grew up in the cheese factory, and that's how I got involved in it. So we went from went from a small country corner uh, farmer-owned co-op to a, to a family-operated uh, milk hauling retail and uh, cheese facility making uh, large-scale block cheddar. And uh, in 1991, we ended up closing the cheese factory because the margins that we were able to get in a flooded market weren't enough to, to sustain what we needed to operate. And we were at a point where we needed to re, uh, reinvest in equipment. The equipment that my dad and I were operating at the time were, was pretty much worn out. And it needed to be replaced, and we were we were looking at a a very large investment at a time when we weren't really making any money. About two cents for every pound of cheese that went out of here is what our what we were working with, and that just wasn't enough. So we 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 closed the doors for a little while in in 1991, which happened to be about the time I come home from college, and I wanted to you know I was coming home gung-ho and ready to go and, and you know, do my thing in the cheese factory. And, and really they did me a, a huge favor uh, by kind of, you know, with, for lack of better terms, maybe pulling the rug out from underneath me because I would have <laughs> failed miserably and, and hated the cheese business probably for the rest of my life. But uh, as it was, I was not part of that decision. I, you know, I... I it was a, a decision that my grandfather and my dad and, and my uncles had made as a family. And uh, they kind of kept me and, and shielded me from that, which was a good thing, I think. And uh, so I, I never really felt like I had my chance in, you know, to do what I wanted to do with the cheese side of things. Mm. And uh, over a period of time, I finally convinced them to get back into it. So that brings us up to today, I guess. <laughs> um, well, that's a so so that's a really interesting story. I feel like, like you said, you know, it's in, it, hindsight's twenty twenty. But um, going into a business like that, where it's uh, so difficult to survive, and I feel like certainly milk producers feel that way. Um, you know, it's very hard to make a living selling uh, milk on the commodity market. 
and it's also harder to make a living um, selling commodity cheese. And so you you guys were really uh, a part of that business. Um, so how did you? Uh, so so what changed when you decided to to get back into it? How did you kind of convince everybody that you could make a go of it? And then how did you do things? You know, structure things differently. Well, I you know I was always a believer that we didn't have to be a big company to make it in the cheese business. And, you know, when, in, in 2005 and 2006, when we were really starting to, to get back into this and really made the decision to, to really to, to make a commitment to being in cheese again, the artisan cheese community was just sort of, Sort of getting its stride. It was still very young, and uh, but 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 really starting to get its stride. And and we could tell that there there was a, a tremendous upside to uh, not only to being able to produce a, a cheese that you know we could take nationwide and put in specialty shops, but. We also had the logistics here in southern Wisconsin where we had some of the very best milk in the, in, in the world, in, in my belief. I, I really do believe that, that some of the best milk in the world comes out of this area of Wisconsin. And uh, we had opportunity to secure some of that milk to make our cheese with, and that, that made a big difference. But as you go back over time, you know, I told that story of how, how we grew as a business over, over a lot of years. Really, I mean, when we started, when my great grandfather come from Switzerland, it was in very early stages of nineteen uh, hundreds, uh, nineteen oh three, I believe it was, and so we we grew over a long period of time. We scaled from small and then scaled up, and then went down to, to basically just the trucks and the retail store, and. Now that we're back in the cheese business, we are actually 11 times smaller than what we were when we were doing the commodity cheddar. Uh, hmm. Structure-wise, the same building, but the but the scale of equipment that we're working with is quite small. And you know, knowing that we wanted to do artisan cheese, I I wanted to get in to something that was 100% quality over quantity, and I never wanted to have to fight that fight that my dad was fighting where you had to compete with everybody on price. And I didn't believe that, uh, you know, in, in my mind, I didn't believe that we could be successful doing that because we're still in the hub of, of dairy country here, and there's all kinds of people that can make large-scale product. And that wasn't something that I wanted to do. I felt that we could uh, work with one dairy farmer and use his superior quality milk to market an, uh, an upscale artisan product. And uh, essentially, since 2006, we've been gearing up to do that, and I really feel like we are just now hitting our stride, even though we've had some some very, you know, very good success with the products that we've been putting out. Well, I feel like it always takes a long time, you know. It's like from the inception of the idea to making great stuff and then introducing it to the marketplace and, and then having it kind of take on a life of its own, it is a it is a long cycle. Um, 
But can you talk a little bit about um, the types of cheeses that um, you're making uh, and how they differ from, you know, that commodity cheddar um, and sort of the artistry that you've brought to, and the creativity that you've brought to the cheese business? Absolutely. I do, um, I, you know, my family, believe it or not, coming from Swiss immigration, we ended up being a, a cheddar, you know, producing family. And that was that's what our family was known for was cheddars. And uh, I, I grew up making cheddar cheese with my dad, and, and that's sort of where I, when, when, when it comes time to really do something on the artisan scale, that's where I kind of leaned on. Now, everybody was doing cloth-bound cheddars. There were a lot of, lot of producers that were really, you know, doing that thing. So that was something that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, even though I do, I have my own. Uh, cloth-bound cheddar recipe that I do, but it's on a very small scale. But I really like blue cheese, and I really like cheddar, and there was nobody around that was doing the two of them as a traditionally made cheddared cheese. So I started making a cheese called Dunbarton that is uh, hand-cheddared blue, and it's uh, more of a cheddar flavor than it is blue, but it does have blue veining. And uh, at the same time, we shelf cure that, so it's a fully rinded cheese. And that's that's what, uh, you know, there's a couple things that go along with that. Number one, you don't make blue cheese in a cheddar factory. That's taboo. <laughs> so I went against the grain on that, and I kind of bucked the system as well because most of the most of any blue cheddar that was marketed was made in a machine called uh, a V-Mag. And what they do is they take actual cheddar cheese and actual blue cheese and they grind them up together and they make a loaf out of that. And that was that was really what the the market was being driven by for cheddar blue. And I, I, I kind of, for lack of a better term, I come up with my own way of doing it and it really was, nothing like that on the market and today there's still very few competitors that have been able to to do it like we're doing it yeah no it's a really wonderful cheese i mean i feel like um the dunbarton blue and um we also uh you know at saxelby cheesemonger sell a lot of the red rock which is a you know five pound uh brick with uh that that has the uh you know the orange coloring to it um yep. And, you know, they're, I think they're almost gateway cheeses for people who, who they're like, oh, I'm not sure if I like blue. And then you give them a little taste of the Dunbarton or the Red Rock, and they're like, oh, well, I really like that. <laughs> and well, it, it takes the edge off. You know, the, the cellar curing adds a certain earthiness to the cheese that really takes that, you know, long-lasting ketone effect of a traditional blue away from, from, uh, from the flavor profile. And you'll notice that, you know, in the Red Rock and the Dunbarton. You know, the Dunbarton is the English-style cheddar, and the Red Rock is more of an American cheddar. And there are, believe it or not, that's very different, yet the same type of cheese. But uh, the, the Gateway is a good, is a very good explanation of the two different cheeses because uh, I feel that it it's a blue... Even though it's a, a, a cheddar, it is a, still a blue, and it's a blue that appeals to a much broader market than just traditional blue. Absolutely, absolutely. And so um, 
So you you've you like you said you're hitting your stride with these great American original artisan cheeses, and so now you are um, expanding just a little bit. Um, can you tell us how how you're uh, expanding your business to accommodate the uh, the the cheese and the success of the cheese? Well, what we did, um, you know, shelf carrying cheese is uh, unbeknownst to me when I came up with the brilliant idea of doing it. <laughs> it, it needs a lot of room, and uh, what we had to do after uh, a year or so of having cheese, you know, stored in other cheesemakers' facilities and, and having to go back and forth and tend to those cheeses, we, uh, we literally dug a, a massive hole into the hillside here on our property, and I built an aging facility that will house a full year's production of, of, of my cheese. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. And that that room, there's three rooms in that facility, and Dunbarton has its own room, and Red Rock has its own room, and I have a wash rind room as well. So it allowed me to expand. Uh, you know, when we did this, we thought about it enough that we were able to expand, uh, even though we still have the same amount of milk. When you're working with one person's milk, you're, you're limited to what they can produce. But even though we still do that, I'm able to make more products with that milk than I was able to before because I just did not have the, the space to properly cure the products. And, and our business became essentially uh, a seller curing uh, artisan cheese business. You know, there's a lot of people that can make artisan cheese, but very few people have the means and the uh, ability to to open air cure it. Yeah, well, um, that is that is just great. I mean, uh, well, congratulations to to you and to the success of all the, of your cheeses. I mean, I for one am a am a huge fan. Um, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time here uh, today. But I'm really glad we got to talk with you about the evolution of your business and and your your recent expansion. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Ann. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned for another episode of Cutting the Curd next week. And uh, till then, eat some blue cheese. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.